Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Logan, and I am your host for the Crowncast. And today uh, we will be discussing all of the trouble, the hurt, and the hope of our game versus Atlanta and a few of the other bits of news around the squad. I am here, as ever, with Justin. Hello, Justin. Hey, Logan. Recovering still from uh, a heartbreaker of a loss. Uh, this past Sunday. Yeah, it's amazing how much, uh, I mean, for those of you who are uh, amongst our listeners that are of legal age, it's amazing how much it feels like a hangover, doesn't it? It just sort of lingers with you and and sticks with you and just kind of sits on your shoulders much longer than you want. Uh, and, and I think a lot of that stems from it being such a difficult law. You know, I don't think that the the DC United or the, the LA Galaxy matches took quite as long for me to feel like I had gotten past the the difficulty of dropping the three points there. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we are fortunate enough. You know, now we're a few days on. We have a little bit better hindsight, and uh, don't get me wrong, we're still angry. Uh, we're still sad. It, it stays with you. But uh, we are going to get the chance to talk today a little bit more about the highlights and the good stuff that came along with uh, what we are now calling the I-85 Derby. Justin, opinions, I-85 Derby, that's what we get? Uh, it seems right to me. I mean, it's it, the, the 85 rivalry, you know, like I said in our instant react, it's already there between the Panthers and the Falcons. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it makes sense for this to be a Derby. They're our closest rival. You know, I think there's already an established rivalry between the cities. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, I guess until somebody tells me differently, and I don't know how they're going to tell me, maybe snail mail, <laughs> uh, I'm going to call the I-85 Derby. And, uh, you know, hopefully you will all come along with us, uh, whether that's correct or not. But I, I am going to, to jump into it today. And for those of you uh, listeners who, who do want to uh, revel in the pain a little bit longer and want to hear a little bit more about what went wrong, we do encourage you, look back to the uh, to the post-match reaction. That post-match reaction, we really highlighted what, what needed work. And so this time, uh, now with a little bit clearer vision and the red mist has lifted a bit, we're going to do a little bit more highlighting what did work. We are still going to talk about what didn't, just a bit for everybody. But if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty, there is a place you can do it. Uh, and right now, going into what worked i'm gonna walk right into this and justin we talked before i thought that this team was laying the foundation to play the correct that that was to play the right style of football to play a style that was fluid and intelligent that didn't leave people isolated and uh, works at any level of the game Uh, we know that our manager is a younger manager who wants to bring the newer ideas to the game already. It's clear that he's willing to work with the younger players and take some of the growing pains associated with that. And we have seen this style uh, work across the world. So seeing this kind of new mentality of football come into our team and be displayed today as we lined up officially in what was a 4-3-3, although, as mentioned, it looked a little bit more like a 4-2-2, uh, certainly without the ball. Uh, that's what we want. You know, we want to see these these players start to be given the uh, responsibility at the back that we're going to say, hey, you guys can handle this. I don't need to give you six people around you to protect you. 
and give the players at the front at the front the opportunity to have other people around them because as we'll talk about a little bit later on today Swiderski alone amongst a sea of eight defenders is not going to be an effective method of attack so today I saw us really starting to or uh, during the match I saw us starting to play the right style of football. And, I mean, Justin, did you see that fluidity come out a little more? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge change, I think, from the the sort of 5-3-2 hyper-defensive, you know, again, a lot of that sort of route one over the top, trying to pass uh, and, and hit on the counterattack uh, that we saw from the earlier matches. You saw that ability to maintain some possession you saw the ability to make some of those passes and advance the ball through the midfield and then recycle when the positioning wasn't there when the the pass wasn't open retaining possession rather than sort of flinging something forward in the hope that it will bounce kindly to you and um you know we highlighted him in the instant react but you know i think ben bender was a big part of what made that work because i think ben bender is the kind of player who can take the ball and turn up field uh, with the ball at his feet draw mm-hmm. defenders to him which opens space for that type of passing game to play around and behind um there's also i think a growing degree of comfort you know like i said i think brent bronico improved um i thought elaine franco did a serviceable job of an effective job uh, there uh, on that right hand uh, interior midfield and everything and um swiderski i think drops into you know good not great positions but i think good not great means with familiarity with the team with familiarity yeah. with uh the the starting 11 as that starts to settle and solidify you start getting the opportunity for that sort of sixth sense of the player is going to be here when i'm here i can make these passes just a little bit quicker because it's a little bit more natural the muscle memories there and so yeah you know, it, i do it, think the 433 is the way forward and i think that we're starting to really see a solid starting 11 coalesce yeah it, it really does look like that to me as well you know we are going to get a little bit more in depth on some of the players that that make it possible a uh, fantastic shout there to ben bender Uh, Because one of the things that you said that really does make this style of play possible is the ability to turn up the field. Um, You you mentioned it, but I'm going to highlight it because when I first went to uh, my first open practice that I got to watch this team play at, one of the things that made me so excited is this team was actively practicing. Not like, oh, we're doing it on occasion. They put 45 minutes of their practice into forcing their players to learn how to take the ball in the half turn and move up the field in the middle of the pitch. And it's such a critical element, the ability to to have that knowledge beforehand of where the players around you are, to know that you have the space and time to turn, to do it efficiently. And then, like you said, Justin, the ability to draw players into you because if nobody's if nobody's pressing you, they're just setting up a stronger defense. So having that ability to, to draw people into you, you know, if you can get two people, great, and then play an effective pass between them, you cut those two people out of the game, and it's such an opener in the middle of the pitch. If, if two midfielders for the defending team suddenly go missing, it is a huge, huge advantage. And, uh, and we saw it start to work today. So, you know, one of the things that I wanted to highlight is Justin, I literally texted you in the middle of the match. 
that right around the 54 minute mark, we had absolutely gorgeous buildup through the field. We took the ball from the very back corner of our side all the way up into an effective attack. And we played through the lines. We drew defenders onto us. We turned on the half turn. We did all this stuff that you and I are talking about. And that's what we need. That's, that's how we are eventually going to become a effective footballing club. But it's clear that there are still some elements once we get to that pointy end of the spear that still need some help. And, and Justin, you had some really cool ideas you know, with this off mic. Do you want to share them here? Yeah, I mean, you know, and I was watching a little bit of Jamie Carragher actually react to your Premier League squad, uh, Arsenal, and, you know, a lot of probably one of the more famous 4-3-3 managers is Pep Guardiola at Manchester City, and Arteta at Arsenal uh, studied under Guardiola. But one of the things that those squads do is there's a lot of width and, and... that angled attack from the wingers coming in at the sides of the box. The expectation when you do that is that you're attacking midfield players in, in sort of that midfield three, the left and right that are pushing forward are pushing forward and then a little wider and, and they're providing those cutback passing lanes, those, those opportunities for the attacking wingers to, to have that ball to play back and they're providing the opportunity to set the the one-two pass combination to spring the striker free and get him in on goal. And so many of the goals that are scored by teams that are playing this type of 4-3-3 effectively, and it looks like this is what we kind of want to be doing whenever we can, because, you know, Bender's making those kinds of attacks on the left. Are there deficiencies in areas that are, are maybe letting it down some? Yes, but, like, if we want to play that kind of system, you know, I think it really relies a lot on those, the midfielders that are currently playing the more attacking roles, which right now are, are sort of TDRTs and, and Alain Franco, to push up, to push a little bit wider, and to be very effective at one-touch passing in tight spaces. Mm-hmm. And I think there's an opportunity for Charlotte to get there. I think there's a lot of promise, and I think that we're starting to see a roster build towards something like that. Um, we're not quite there yet, but it's a very promising uh, uh, development in the side. Um, the one thing, you know, more than anything else, I think that that those sides need, and you know, at the moment have a lot of these the four three three squads is a very impressive defensive midfielder i think thomas Partey is is maybe growing a little bit into that role in arsenal but you know when you look at uh was a fabinho for uh liverpool um you know you look at at uh oh shoot it's rodri for manchester city mm-hmm. the the midfield the defensive midfield role you're you've got to be there to be the player to break up the counter-attack yeah. Um, slow it down. And I don't know if we've got it yet. It's incredibly vital for this kind of 4-3-3. Mm-hmm. But we have a chance, I think. We have an opportunity to build towards towards this style of play. And that's exciting because that's a fun style to watch. Yeah, and I think that that's a great thing to bring to the table here. You know, we're talking about the incredibly early stages of a project. 
we are three games into our first ever season. And people like you and I, Justin, we're going we're gonna to look at, at the game as a whole that we know very well, and we're going to say, what does it look like they're doing to us? And, and how do we see this progression? And I think one of the things that we can pass along is, I think it's fair to call ourselves super fans, uh, of of the football at large, and you know certainly I'm I'm feeling that way about Charlotte FC. Um, is we can pass along that we see good, right? You know, it, it's not just that we're going to these games and we're enjoying our time with our buddies. We wanted to see inside of this year a team that was looking like it was going to show us something that we could be really behind, and uh, we're seeing that by you know episode three by game three so much so that you and i are sitting here discussing the good things that they're doing and how they look like some of the best football teams on the planet uh now we are significantly short of those teams marks you know i mean the simple truth is if you put charlotte fc up against liverpool right now it would not be a pretty game to watch unless you are a very hardcore hardcore Liverpool fan. Uh, no, I mean that's that's nine nil at <laughs> halftime or something like that. It's... Yeah, that's it's silly numbers, but we are seeing the same approaches to football that the best teams in the world are using, starting to be laced into the groundwork that will build up this club, and and that that for me means so much because. Because it means that, you know, if we do have a player who it, we lose uh, for any reason, injury, uh, who decides to go to another club, uh, whatever, the basis is there. You know, a, a football club is not just the players. And the players are the ones we see. But a football club is all the people behind the scenes. It's the ideas of the manager and you know, it's the long-term strategy put in place, you know, behind that manager. It, it's all of these things that will build the club towards the future, even as little pieces get removed. And I see that. I see it going into place. And that it, it, I'm so glad that I get the chance, you know, here in this, we've had a little bit of time to breathe to highlight it because I would not have had the peace of mind to highlight it in the post-reaction uh but I'm going to go shift gears because ultimately the long-term health of the club is something we care about and is fun and interesting too, but we're here to see balls go into the back of the net. I mean, Justin, would you say that's fair? I mean, that's what, that's what people pay to see is, is the goals getting scored. That's what and... people pay to see. And right now they are paying the money to see, and you are hearing this correctly, Adam Armour. Yeah, the 19-year-old defender, which, you know, we mentioned it in the postgame. Uh, only, his, I think, his family would have put money down for him to be one of the scorers. Yeah, uh, it is uh, absolutely, uh, I mean, it's got to be a delight for him. You you have to know that that has, like, is going to be, if not the biggest moment of his life, close to the biggest moment of his life, 19 years old, in front of all the fans, in what looks like it will be an actual rivalry game putting the first goal in and it's a great header um we took a look at it a little bit more closely and you know justin do you want to walk us through how that ball ends up 
on Adam Armour's head and what he does to to beat a keeper that thus far no one else had found a way to beat. I mean, more than anything else, you know, to, to sort of cut it to the quick, Ben Bender's delivery on the corner is phenomenal. There's, uh, it's it's interesting because Armour doesn't, uh, you, you pointed out, Armour doesn't have to move very much within the box. It's it's almost as if he sat there sort of as a dummy and, and he's got uh, a McCoon and Carujo either side of him, which are much bigger targets to aim for. Uh, and the central defenders that you really expect to get up there and, and be the ones to get ahead on the ball in the box. Like Carujo 6'2 and McCoon 6'1. And, and Adam Armour is here at 5'9. Uh, just sort of the, the valley in between the mountains of these central defenders. But uh, Bender drops a beautifully curled corner kick in. Uh, McCoon makes a run in front. One of the, the few positives I think we could take from McCoon on the day. Uh, Karuha slots in sort of behind and draws his defender away, and nobody marks Adam Armour. Nobody puts a hand on him. Uh, and he drives a good header. Uh, yeah. Beats uh, Brad Guzan to Guzan's right, uh, a side that he'd been effective uh, you know, going towards earlier in the match. He's denied Swiderski a header uh, from open play at that same corner. Uh, just a little while before, but uh, and Guzan gets a hand to it, mm-hmm. but Armour drives the kind of header you want to see. It's yeah. heading into the turf, so you're going to get a, an interesting bounce. It's heading into the corner, um, and and uh, just I don't know that you can, I don't know that you can draw it up much better than that. Yeah, uh, it... Armour doesn't even really have to to elevate himself too far. It's a pretty simple hop to generate a little bit of that header power. Um, but he's not flinging his body forward through a challenge. Yeah, it was a really interesting demonstration in my mind of of why dummy runs are made and why they're made into the positions they are made towards. So if you go back and you watch that, you do see Adam Armour being the smaller player kind of go take up the perfect position. He's, you know, just outside the six-yard uh, box. He's right in line with the goalpost uh, to the near side. So he's as close, uh, the post is closest to the incoming ball. And that's an incredibly dangerous place. It's a place that is visible to the person who is who is hitting the corner in. And it's a place that because you already know you're in line with that post, you can kind of just aim straight. You know, even with all the stuff going on around you, you can just say, hey, I'm, I know I'm two foot or I'm one foot inside of this post. If this ball comes to me, just hit it straight towards the fans. Uh, and he makes this run into this really good, dangerous dangerous position. And then gets kind of ignored, right? Like the, the Atlanta defenders almost outsmarted themselves by going, oh, Adam Armour isn't going to be the one who jumps for this ball. He's there to distract us. We'll go chase the bigger targets, leaving Adam Armour in one of the most dangerous positions you can possibly be for a cross. Uh, and, you know, credit to the the 19-year-old. He said, fine, if you're going to leave me unmarked in the most dangerous place on the field, I'll score a goal. And he did it. I mean, it, it was a, a thing of beauty, but it was a really interesting thing to watch back from from the perspective of somebody analyzing the goal. Because... 
we talked about it. You just, you would not have bet that Adam Armour was going to be the one who got up there for it, right? No, I mean, it never, never in my wildest dreams. I am honestly a little surprised Armour was on the pitch. He came on in place of a midfielder rather than in a, a purely defensive role. But, you know, the other thing I want to mention is, is we're talking about a 20-year-old swinging in the cross, a 19-year-old nodding at home. And I think, you know, one of the other standout players has been Jalen Lindsay at 21. So it, it's mm-hmm. nice to see uh, young players uh, managing to, to contribute like this uh, for for Charlotte so far. Oh, yeah. And, you know, you did talk about it before, but previously we have discussed and we've gone big on Ben Bender, who has impressed the both, both of us to no end. But he does have the technique. He does have the skill to lay in that perfect ball. And without that perfect ball, that's not a goal. So while he's not the guy who heads it home, well, he's not the guy who's going to be, you know, enshrined in the glory. Uh, he is officially the first assist for uh, Charlotte FC at, I believe you said, 20 years old. So uh, 21. It's yeah, a, just turned 21. Sorry. Yeah, no. I was... Just turned 21. So that's a, you know, that's a great mark in history. And, and just seeing that, that technical ability out of him not just in the middle of the pitch but he can deliver those crosses uh all all the good things i I don't think there will be enough time for us to to heap all of the praise that that we feel for for both of them in that situation Uh, great uh, great for both of them yep so we'll move on a little bit because uh the adam armor goal and the the ball in from ben bender are both spectacular and you know what else is spectacular uh, it's spectacular to live in a city, Justin, where if you feel like, hey, I'd love to do something today, tonight, uh, but I don't know what I want to do yet, you can just go and find a whole host of opportunities for you to go try out new interesting things. And one of those things is, of course, our sponsor, Potions and Pixels. Uh, I'm going to shout them out again. They are a, a an organization that brings people together to play board and video games, to make friends. Uh, It's a very easy, low-key night to enjoy yourself, whether you bring your loved ones or whether you go out with a group of your own friends or if you go there to make friends. Uh, Potions and Pixels, highly recommended here on the Crowncast. I think, Justin, is that fair to say? They come highly recommended? Absolutely. I mean, Logan and I uh, first met at a Potions and Pixels. Uh, It's a great place to go. Um, They have a variety of different both video game and board game tournaments uh, and events that, you know, get hosted. Uh, It is a 501c3, so it is a charitable organization working to maintain board games and provide education around board games and the communities that can build around them here in Charlotte. Um, And it's a a great family-friendly opportunity as the father of three it's it's a great opportunity to get the kids out of the house uh get them doing a little bit more socialization especially now that we're moving out of pandemic and really give them something that can keep them entertained that's not you know necessarily on a screen uh, which i i definitely appreciate so and added benefit uh if you do enjoy the show if you do enjoy listening to us and you come to the friday events at potions and pixels you may get the chance to shake justin and i's hand uh although they do say never meet your heroes uh so 
you know, that's on you. You have to take that risk, whether or not you think it's, a, it's an intelligent uh, challenge for yourself. Uh, I think, Justin, that's right about enough of that. So we are going to move into the players who, when we did this instant react, or when we did this post-match reaction, we wanted so much to just jam everything we felt about all of the players. And that's not really the format of the, the post-match reaction. It's really just to highlight one or two. But so here's the chance where we get to highlight all of them, right? And there is a list. I'm going to knock this first one out super quickly because we have raved about him. We will rave about him again today. We will rave about him, I hope, tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And that's Christian Kalina. The man between the sticks, again, is only beaten by a bad deflection. He makes a number of spectacular saves. He looks like he's now actually starting to play the role of a keeper that is also going to be able to distribute the ball intelligently. I saw a few mistakes, but I was very impressed with what I saw. I thought that that is developing, and to see that skill develop is very inspiring to me. But otherwise, he's he's spectacular. Uh, what else do you want to add? I mean, six goals conceded in three matches for Charlotte. It, it does kind of seem bad, but but two are penalties, three are deflections, and one is a worldie that no keeper could could stop. I don't really care who you are. Yeah. Um, I th- so, I think that that's one where we'll get to a little bit later about why these goals are going in. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I think Kalina has done a phenomenal job. Um, really, you know, the elder statesman at the back, I think that is actually doing what he's asked to do yeah. um, and, and really showing up. So uh, on to the other side of the pitch, uh, we moved to Swinderski, the, you know, the designated player, the big early signing and, you certainly felt like he really impressed you in this game, even though he didn't necessarily come away with a goal. You know, what made you feel, what made you feel that? I think he's doing, you know, what I think you you want a striker to do uh, in the modern game, which, you know, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're finally playing. Um, I think that he is connecting play reasonably well for a striker. You know, you're you're not necessarily asking your striker to be the greatest passer of the ball. I think the finishing will come. The shots are on frame, right? Like, mm-hmm. for a striker, he's not skying everything over or, uh, you know, left or right of the post. He's putting them on frame and forcing saves. And eventually those start coming good those start sneaking past the keeper uh some of it i think is you know maybe still a matter of fitness and familiarity we talked about the fact that he missed the first match with visa issues and you know then had to kind of come all the way back and through everything uh that is still in place around the pandemic to to participate um but had a good header that was well saved by Brad Guzan. Uh, again as i mentioned earlier related to the goal Guzan going to his right gets down fast um, had a what I think is a relatively tame shot from near the top of the box later in the match that I think with a little bit of time with a little bit of fitness uh, lifts instead of sort of skims the grass and causes a lot more difficulty for the keeper than that particular one did I think um, I see 
much like the promise I see in the squad as a whole, I see a lot of promise in Swiderski to be able to come good and start being able to finish these opportunities. Because like I said, if you're putting them, you know, within that rectangle, they will start to go in. Yeah. Uh, I think you, you highlight a couple good things there. One, they are on target. They do have power. They are reasonably well-placed. And and he's putting himself in the good positions. And if we look at the best strikers in the whole world, you know, we look at the the Sadio Mane's and uh, Lewandowski, yeah, the Lewandowski, Holland. the Hollands, the and and these guys are notorious for missing shots. They are notorious for putting themselves in really good opportunities, and having the entire stadium around them. Uh, sort of let out a sad breath of air when the ball doesn't go on the back of the net. But you know what? They put themselves in 10 of those opportunities a game. And when you put yourself in 10 of those opportunities a game, they start falling. Uh, And I don't have any doubt that for this particular player, he looks like he is in a position that the opportunities are going to keep coming. He looks like he's of a mental space that he is going to keep being there for those opportunities. And they are going to start dropping. I mean, they're just going to. Yeah, I mean, through two matches, officially, Swiderski is credited four shots, four shots on target. Yeah. Uh, they'll, they'll come through. Yeah. And, I... and he will do well. And, you know, the other thing we talked about is this continuing shape change to the squad. Uh, and he looked better in this one uh, with some actual service coming in. Mm-hmm. Then he looked in the first match that he played in, you know, against uh, LA Galaxy, where maybe the service wasn't there for him as much. Yeah, I, I will follow up with that, because obviously it's not through three matches, it's through two matches for him, because uh, he didn't get to play in the first one. Uh, he is at four shots, and I would like to see that number move up a little bit. You know, I'd like to see him be in that three to five shots per game range. Uh but he is getting good quality opportunities and he's doing it in a team that we've already mentioned isn't exactly offense heavy. You know, we're not parked in their zone just constantly feeding him shots. He's having to really earn these. So so it looks good for Swinderski. I mean, do you think we should need to say any more on that or are we happy with Swinderski? No, I mean, and... and... You know, I think as the, the as the squad continues to coalesce, I think we'll see better and better from him. So, so that will move me to a player who I wanted to highlight because we have defensive challenges. That's the polite way to put it. I'm gonna unleash you here in just a moment on Christian McCoon. Uh, for the listeners, please make sure that you're ready for that. <laughs> uh, but the other guy sitting there in the center of our defense is Carujo and. He has looked, very quietly, really, really good. Uh, he has been in all the right places. He is uh, he is making us very hard to break down from a balls-in-over-the-top perspective. Uh, on corners, he's been a fantastic defensive piece. He knows his role. He's not afraid to attack it. He seems to be communicating really well, uh, certainly with you know, the other players on his side, but also with Christian Kalina. And I think he has kind of gone unnoticed in all of the good ways. You know, normally we talk about players, how 
when you look back and go, well, he was quite boring, it's because they're not lighting the field up. And when we look back and say, the area that Carujo was in was kind of boring, it's because he's stopping other teams from lighting that area of the field up. And that's exactly what you want from a defender. I mean, Justin, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at at where the opposition attacks primarily come from, and sure, there are going to be situations where they get beaten, but I think the majority of the attacks that we've seen over the three games have come down our defensive left, the opposing teams, you know, attacking right. And and I think that speaks volumes to the effectiveness of the defensive right between Jalen Lindsay and Guzman Corujo. And, uh, you know, I think that you highlighted uh, previously the the effectiveness that Jalen Lindsay had, you know, stepping out that fire that he has stepping out and providing that defensive cover. I think Carujo is the right partner for him in the right side of defense in that he's, you know, he is very solid. He's a good calming presence. I think that he, you know, has a good understanding now of where to look for that pass back to Kalina, where to, to move after he passes back to Kalina to provide the outlet and then move the ball to Jalen Lindsay, you know, effectively. Um, we talked earlier about the goal. Uh, if Adam Armour isn't there to put a head on it, Guzman Carujo is the player right behind him who has, I think, a good chance, did a good job, you know, either, depending on how you want to look at it, beating his man individually to put himself in a good position to make a header or shielding that defender from getting to Adam Armour. Either way, he, either way you, you look at it, he did an effective job in an offensive position uh, you know, the the kind of offensive position you want your center back in from that corner kick. Yeah, and he really has come on to me as as I look back a little bit less in the moment as one of those players who is the strong rock. He is uh, looking like he's going to provide that consistency and, and that, that thing we want to see from a defense. So So that is the, I think, the high note for the defense. And now that I've given us the high note, uh, Justin, do you want to talk about his partner for a little bit? I mean, I went into him after the first match because, you know, responsible for a couple of the goals uh, against uh, DC to start the season. Um, responsible in this match, in my opinion, for both of the goals. First, for shoving down uh, one of the Atlanta players in the box in in a manner that was not necessary yeah no it was not intelligent and i am going to cut across really quick uh because we are in fact talking about our number 14 christian mccoon we haven't actually said his name yet so we're gonna we're gonna put that out there and i will let you continue yeah so so i mean mccoon puts i mean you can 50 50 and and put your shoulder into somebody but when you extend the arm especially in the box you're gonna get called for it when you don't drop back fast enough in in cover and then turn your back for a deflection you know you're going to get exposed for it in the dc united match i called him out for being three yards behind the defensive line you know not maintaining the offside trap effectively he doesn't in my opinion have the speed you know he doesn't have the pace to to be able to recover if he gets beaten i don't think he has the positioning Uh, i don't think he's an effective passer out of the back i i'm just i'm extraordinarily frustrated that christian mccoon continues to start in central defense especially when i think you know, talking about solving two birds with one stone and the instant react, you, you went after Christian Fuchs and rightfully so for his relatively poor play as a left back in this back four. 
it seems like the right solution is because because I think that Fuchs still offers a lot in terms of his passing and his his overall intelligence, but he doesn't have the energy to keep running his left back. I I think it's time for Makun to sit down, and for Fuchs to slide inside to that left center back position, and we find somebody, somebody to fill in the left back role instead, and and you know hopefully that improves uh, more of the squad because I think at the moment. Christian McCoon is costing Charlotte FC points. It's not just that he is a poor defender, he's a frustrating player to watch or anything like that, but he is actively costing Charlotte points. Yeah, so uh, so I want to sort of sum up everything that you've said here, and that's you're a really big fan of Christian McCoon, and you want to see him <laughs> on the field as much. as Is that about right? Is that, is that what if I was hearing? We could arrange the, if we could arrange MLS to trade Christian McCoon to every one of our opponents the week we play them, I would love to see Christian McCoon on the field every week. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you a, a question here, and that is, you, you know me. You know who I am. You have an option. You can take Christian McCoon out and put Logan Meyer on the field in his place. Are you taking that option? Uh... At this point, yeah. I mean, oh wow, that's I can bad. Probably, I can probably oh. hide you someplace where you're going to do less damage than Christian McCoon does. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's terrible. Uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, everyone, please remember it is Justin who hates Christian McCoon. Um, <laughs> uh, no, you're absolutely right. The truth is, we said we were not going to. Yeah, you know, we're not going to try and kill these players, but we're also going to say what we see and. You know, one of the things we see is Christian McCoon not not getting it done in all of the wrong ways. And uh, for those of you who who do still still feel uh, you know a sense of vindication, a sense of of anger at uh, this game, like I said, please go back to the uh, to the post match react because that is that's where you'll really get the the fire and the fury. Uh, another another player who you know, sort of staying on this wasn't quite so impressive for us role that I think we both feel we could see maybe spending a little bit of time on the bench and seeing what other options we have for him is in the middle of our pitch in Ortiz. Uh, is that correct, Justin? You know, you feel similarly there? Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked a little bit about him, uh, that TD Ortiz plays with the wrong energy. You know, mm-hmm. he... I think I called it out in the match against uh, L.A. here in Charlotte where Jalen Lindsay, you know, he stepped up and he talked a little bit of trash to Chicharito, I think, in the right way. Mm-hmm. After stopping the pass, after, you know, after stopping the attack, really standing up strong. TDRT runs around the field like he's looking to start a fight. He runs around the field like he, he is just a chicken with his head cut off. Um, and And... I think he is a constant threat to receive a yellow card, Mm -hmm. which is not what you want. And I will weigh in here and say, I don't think my opinions of Ortiz are quite as strong as yours, but they certainly lean the same way. I have very similar feelings that he brings an energy and that not all energies are created equal. Uh, He definitely, you know, not to get too mystical on everyone, he definitely brings a vibe to the club that is is maybe maybe the wrong spirit of the fight. Uh, and I'd love to see that turn around, but also with what I've seen so far, I, I do think it might make sense to... Well, especially with some of the incomings that we'll talk about in future episodes, to see him sit for a little bit and see what other options are available, because 
because I think there, there, there must be a better way. Either he needs to sort of get it back in check and needs to start directing the energy to the right places, or, or we need to find another way. I think, and again, this would be a little different, right? If TD Ortiz was constantly popping up in dangerous situations and creating offensively, but mm-hmm. he's not doing that part either. Yeah, you know, he's he's a, a little wasteful in that midfield role, and and you know, again, you mentioned we've got some incoming that may put us in a position. I think I think the best thing for us, honestly, is as effective as Ben Bender is out on that left wing, slide him inside. Uh, and and maybe letting Ortiz sit down. But, you know, we talk about the goal scorer, Adam Armour, was subbed on for TD Ortiz. We've, we've talked Adam Armour is a five foot nine defender. We looked better with a five foot nine defender in left attacking midfield than we did with TD Ortiz in that position for the first half of the match. Yeah. And I, I think we can sort of leave it there f- for him because there are a few other people I'd like to get on to. Really quick, uh, you know, we had some of the subs come on. Harrison Awful, um, I think, did a serviceable job. That about right? Yeah, I mean, he's 35. I don't think you expect a ton from him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't phenomenal. It, it was, you know, it was, it was serviceable. serviceable. Yeah, it was serviceable, and that's about what we're asking out of a 35-year-old player. You know, he's... yeah. Uh, he's there I, to be I, a, a a serviceable player, and and thirty five years old and coming on for you know a player that I thought maybe didn't do a serviceable job. You know he is a thirty five year old defender that got subbed on in place of Mackenzie Gaines, who mm-hmm. started you know at that sort of right wing. He's twenty four years old and and he's a striker and he did not really stand out. Yeah, uh, you know I thought. I am, Harrison Awful at serviceable was better than Mackenzie Gaines. Yeah, I, I will say Mackenzie Gaines looked pretty isolated. I think that that is a a challenge of the system right now. We do not have the players to effectively move the ball up to him. When we did get the ball up to him, we did not have the positioning that could make him effective. Uh, so Mackenzie Gaines, while he definitely didn't light the field up for me and I'm not defending what looked to be a pretty average to less than, you know, slightly worse than average performance. I think that we are not giving some of the more offensive players the opportunity to show us that they're good. And so for me personally, I'm, I hold off a little bit of reservation on them. Uh, You know, I, I absolutely could be wrong. You know, I'll be the first one to hold my hand up and, and give them mea culpa, but for now, Mackenzie Gaines, you're, you're right, didn't look great, but but isn't somebody I'm concerned about yet. Uh, one of the the pieces that we touched on was the really interesting role that Alon Franco is playing. And Justin, could you tell us a little bit about that? So yeah, so you know the four three three that it kind of looks like we're playing. I, I would normally expect Alon Franco to to be filling a little bit more of an attacking role, but it looks like he's been asked to play maybe a little bit more of a box to box and and you know what i originally took to be sort of a 4-3-3 with sort of two attacking uh midfield players pushing pushing forward and providing that support looks like maybe a 4-3-3 that's more of a double pivot with uh brant bronico and elaine franco sort of playing this uh double pivot defensive midfield 
air quotes around the box to box. But I think that that's costing, you know, like you said, maybe is this the piece where Mackenzie Gaines is missing the connectivity of that right-sided midfielder that can connect the ball and, and you know, present it to him like that. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that's why, you know, Mackenzie Gaines looks a little bit weaker is because Owen Franco, who I sort of expected to be one of those metronome, like, distributors in the midfield uh, is... Uh, it's it's fits and starts. I do want to call him out for a, a real positive in after the armor goal. Olaf Franco is the one who grabs the ball out of the net, runs it back to midfield. He's looking for the win, which is absolutely the right attitude for for a player to bring. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is he providing the support in the attack? I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, he did get booked in the match against Atlanta in one of the worst bookings I've ever seen given to a player uh, in that he was tackled in what I thought was a yellow card offense for the Atlanta player personally, or at least a foul. Um, And then stumbling in his attempt to recover falls into an Atlanta United player, a different one and gets booked for that. Yeah. And that's, that's never fun to see. Right. It's it's continued frustration I, that I've I have voiced before about MLS officiating, but you know it's just it, maybe all of this concern about Alan Franco, maybe this concern about you know maybe it's TDRTs or whoever else, you know if Sergio Ruiz comes back, if Jordi Alcivar steps into the midfield, something like that, maybe it's all again sort of how is this team supposed to coalesce? It looks like right now, you know. Bender and, and Swiderski are, are in great shape in the attack. The midfield that sits behind them is a little bit more nebulous and a little bit, it, it's a little bit more unclear about what role are these players supposed to be taking in the midfield and, you know, where are they supposed to be positioning for those passing lanes? And um, so, you know, not as many questions for Elaine Franco because I think he's done a serviceable and an effective job, but it, yeah. Is his role more of a box-to-box rather than attacking? If that's the case, you know. And I will press really in here. Be... I will press in here and say one of the things we mentioned earlier that perhaps Ortiz brings some of the wrong energy. Uh, Alain Franco brings the right energy. Uh, he is one of the people that I originally sort of brought out during the, the open practices and saw even when they're just out there training, he is always the one bringing the positive energy. He's always the one who's pulling the ball out of the back of the net. He's always the one who's picking up the extra cones. And, you know, that that energy alone uh, allows me to say, hey, this guy is right now deserving of his place. And, and, and looks, like, looks like even though we don't really know exactly what he's intended to do yet, maybe he doesn't know exactly what he's intended to do yet, uh, he certainly has the right to figure it out. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, if we are playing the double pivot and if Bronico and, and Franco are supposed to be in that sort of role, it, I think, becomes even more important for a player like Ben Bender to move centrally then and sort of take up that role directly behind the striker and with the freedom to move left and right and open up those passing lanes. Yeah. So I think I'm going to move us along now as we start to wrap this up and sort of do a quick segment on managing our expectations. Uh, and this is just uh, not just for Justin and I who have this 
you know, more in depth than maybe your average viewers look at, at the pitch, but for everybody, because this is a new team. It is coming out of its, its infancy. It is attempting to do some things that are going to take time. And I'll be really honest with you. We're going to get frustrated. (laughs) I'm going to get frustrated. Justin's going to get frustrated. The viewers are going to get frustrated. The fans are going to get frustrated. And, and we are going to experience some growing pains. Uh, I hate to be the one who, who has to go out and inform everyone of this, uh, but we are playing the New England Revolution next uh, Saturday, the 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern, and they are a very good team. Uh, I, believe they finished, I believe they finished first in the conference last year. The, the, my expectations for this next game are a bit of a wash. I'm not saying there's no way we win it. I'm not saying we don't come out of it uh, finding positives. But I am saying that we're looking at one of our harder matches coming up. And that gives me the opportunity to to pass along that, you know, I think, Justin, you and I can help highlight some of the things that we're going to expect to see as this team grows from its infancy. And the first one that I really want to put out there, because nothing hurts me as a fan more than seeing this happen, is the players we love, especially the young ones, are going to make dumb mistakes. There is a worldwide phenomenon in every single skill that the longer you do something, the more consistent at it you will be. And even if someone has an incredible talent, they're going to do something dumb, especially while they're young. At the time when they don't necessarily... Uh, really have a great understanding of the people around them or uh, at the time when they're just coming into the club, at the time when they are younger players, Adam Armour, Ben Bender, uh, Jalen Lindsay. We are going to have moments in this season where they don't wow us. We are going to have moments in the season where we scratch our heads about all of those players. And I think that all three of them... Uh, or certainly two of them, and Adam Armour, what a what a goal and what a way to announce yourself, have showed us that they deserve the chance to be dumb. Justin, would you agree with that sort of uh, opinion? Yeah, I mean, you can point out to young players what they have done wrong, but you cannot slate them for it in, in such a way that they are completely written off for activities on the pitch. You know, it's it's far too harsh you know it's it's the the saying in football is uh uh, form is temporary class is permanent you know and and we have some players with a lot of class who are gonna suffer some dips in form Mm -hmm. and we've got to be ready for that and one of these players who you know i think that we are uh we are openly criticizing is christian mccoon he's a young man uh, he's in the heart of a brand new defense. He's got a lot of pressure on him. Right now, I'm starting to see the things that say maybe he needs to sit down. Right now, I'm seeing the things that say he's not he's not performing on the field as is needed because ultimately, this is this is a job and this is a business. And while we the fans always want the best for everybody, you have to put the player on the field that can do the job. Um, but you know, my personal hope is that McCoon comes back later a little bit older and and recovers from this because I, I don't want his admittedly quite poor positioning here in the early days to uh, to to make us mark his name off the list. 
No, I mean, I understand. I agree. I, I just, you know, I want, I want there to be development in training mm -hmm. uh, that is reflected on the field before mm -hmm. he sees the field again. You know, like. Oh, no, I, I just, think that's completely I fair. Yeah, I don't think that he is there right now. I think that at the moment, he's not giving us the best opportunity to win. I am absolutely pulling for him. I absolutely uh, hope for his sake that he gets an opportunity to, you know, train up, come back better. Um, so I will, and, and, I will say now, Justin, uh, you know, you get the chance to, you know, to share your voice with a larger audience. Is there anything that you'd like to pass on from your years of, of being a fan that says, hey, guys, these things, th this is the experience I have. How do we manage our expectations? Um, I mean, I think the other thing that I would say is for the fans, this is still such a young club. This is a club that has formed through a lot of adversity. This is a club that is still building out what that roster looks like, what the starting 11 look like. And like we've said so many times in this podcast, what the formation and the, the strategy, the, the style of this club looks like. And so there are going to be, you know, not just those growing pains, you know, here and there, not with the young players, but with the squad as a whole. And it's probably going to continue to be a tough year in terms of the results. Mm -hmm. But what we've got to look at is the good work that's done so far. You know, we held an LA Galaxy team that has one of the most exciting attacking players in the league to a 1-0 that took a midfielder scoring a, a phenomenal, improbable strike. Mm -hmm. You know, we only lost against DC because of a couple of flukes and an incredibly poorly called penalty. There is a lot of promise in this club. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of promise in the squad and how the manager is putting everything together. It's going to take time. Please try to keep the faith and please try to keep the faith as much as you can. And maybe this is hypocritical because I, I, I am a father of three. I like watching matches from the quiet and comfort of my home, but try and keep the, the energy and the, the excitement and everything in the stadium. Try and make the vault at bank of America a tough place for opposing teams to come in. Um, it's my understanding, I, I just found this out, that uh, two weeks before every match, there's a limited number of $15 tickets that are released by the, by the team. They are only available at the box office at Bank of America Stadium. But if you've been looking at, oh my goodness, how, how expensive everything is, how am I ever going to be able to take my family? You know, there's an opportunity. I have no idea where those seats are in the stadium. But Keep the energy up. Keep the excitement up. The results may not be there, but look for the, the little wins inside of the big match. Look for the effectiveness in a defensive duel. Look for the great cross. Look for the great pass. And understand that those are puzzle pieces for a puzzle that's still being assembled. And when it's all said and done, I think we're going to have something special here in Charlotte. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a good shout out. And I think you said it really well, so I'm not going to follow it up. Uh, really, uh, we have we have a good thing hopefully on our hands, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Uh, I think I'm going to wrap it up there. To all of you who are listening, we love you, and we will talk to you again uh, after a Charlotte New England Revolution match. So we'll see you soon. <laughs>